the correct term for free energy in its in one of its three manifestations other than the recycling of reactive power or the theft or harvesting of reactive power the third type which has infinite potential for growth i mean infinite potential for expansion or shrinkage using infinity or zero as the asymptotic limits um what was i going to talk about oh shit um oh is not reactive power this goes beyond reactive power this is now the resultant of imaginary power in its shortest phrase possible a longer phrase the more precise or more elaborate would be the squaring of the resultant of imaginary power um no 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 it's just being alternative so it's either we say vaguely the resultant of imaginary power or more specifically the squaring of imaginary power because imaginary is the square root of negative 1 you square it and it becomes negative watts which jim murray has dubbed uh, reactive watts but it's the resultant of imaginary watts imaginary watts is like what f- formed it in the first place and then it passed through a resistance and became negative watts or reactive watts if you prefer you know we perceive it as reactive even though um, you know it comes within the domain of reactive so Jim Murray is not wrong in using that term I just want to be more precise to set it apart from reactive because electrical engineers always consider reactive power to be no more than 90 degrees out of phase between amperage and voltage but this is 180 degrees out of phase and they say oh that's Im- that's impossible anyway that's covered by generators but generators don't in reality do that they're coils of wire rotary generators they create at most a 90 degree dipla- displacement as it is so they're not truly generators in that sense of the term. So, you know, electrical engineers are like, they either know the truth and keep their mouth shut, or they're plainly confused about their own subject matter, how to deal with it. It's really bizarre. Anyway, kind of a double standard, you might say. Oh, God. So that's the resultant of imaginary power. That's what I would want to call what free energy is. If I had to give it a name that's unique and set it apart from everything else and be more honest or accurate in my description of it, that's what I'd say. The resultant of imaginary power. Um, I have to correct myself. Uh, it's not really a correction so much as um, more, elucidate, more lucid... Um, Anyway, more accurate, more detailed. Free energy is the result of the application of real power to a circuit resulting in the production of imaginary power which is greater as the output, which is greater than the input of real power. And when that imaginary power gets squared, when it goes through a resistance of any sort of simple resistance, not inductive uh, resistance, not uh, equivalent series resistance of a capacitor, but when it's simple resistance or a resistor, if you prefer, um, then that imaginary power becomes real power because it gets squared, 
and becomes negative watts, or as Jim Murray calls it, reactive watts, something that we can use instead of remaining imaginary, in which case we can't use it until it passes through a resistance. Um, that's one way to reconstruct real power out of imaginary power. I would imagine that another way is to pass the energy through two coils that are counterwound with regard to each other so that the amperage of one coil will match up with the the, the field create that uh, surrounding that coil the amperage component of that field will match up with the voltage component of the field of the partner coil because they will be in phase and create a field of real power conversely the voltage of the first coil the field of of voltage of the first coil will match up with the field of amperage of the second coil and again create real power that's what I imagine could happen in a counterwound coil so that under normal circumstances if you pass real power through two opposing coils that I mean two counterwound coils that are um, wound together on the same bobbin uh, normally you would get a cancellation of wattage and um, you'd get nothing <laughs> um, a lot of energy and nothing there to use um, but this is not real power that we want to put through such a counterwound coil. This is imaginary power. Um, and so we get different results. We get real power and, uh, a lot more than, <laughs> than what the real power was that was applied into the circuit to create the, the amplitude of imaginary power. Now I have to add a little, t a little more. Um, so the application of real power resulting in the production of imaginary power within a framework of time and regulated by the various frequencies of the various energies within the circuit, that's actually reflective or analogous to a version of Ohm's law that I hold most dear than any other version in which it's no longer Ohm's law in the sense that it's no longer um, current times voltage equals watts. It's now voltage squared divided by resistance equals watts? No. But it's kind of similar to that one. The application of real voltage times the resulting reactive voltage divided by various impedances and simple resistances within a framework of time. Now we got joules, we got energy. But we have two voltages, and they're not the same, that are multiplying against each other before we divide all of the various impedances, such as capacitive impedance, um, inductive impedance, and simple resistance within a framework of time. So it's two different voltages. One is the application of real voltage, that's your input, and one is the output. The other, the second voltage is the output, namely the react, uh, um, imaginary voltage. <laughs> Did I say reactive? Uh, I mean imaginary voltage. Um, because your input voltage, you're going to be keeping it very low. That's the first cardinal rule of free energy is do not feed the circuit power to 
empower enough energy to empower itself to power the uh, a load the appliance and cover the uh, losses in addition there too uh-uh you give it so little energy that you tease it to hunger for more and you construct in such a way that it does make up the difference within itself by literally because voltage is analogous the application of voltage is analogous to the application of suppression of this third type of um, free energy which is you step aside and you allow the ether to come into the circuit and you intelligently orchestrate that to occur because you've created the circuit in a certain way, making use of capacitances and inductances in a certain way. <coughs> Excuse me. But if you will, but you have to allow it to happen. So you encourage it with the formation, the ge geometric formation of the circuit, but you allow it to happen because you don't get in the way. One of the analogous terms of a voltage source, such as a battery or a generator, is a voltage regulator. I learned this early on in my simulation experiments that if you apply sufficient voltage to the input of a circuit, you could suppress, theoretically, depending on the circuit, you could suppress this opportunity for the ether to come into the circuit because you have suppressed transients. Transient surges of high voltage, uh, hardly any current, and a very short duration, voltage spikes. These are transients coming in from the ether. They, ha they are an effect without a cause because the ether doesn't have causality versus um, uh, effect, effects of that causality. They don't have, it doesn't have time like we have it in which every cause produces an effect. The effect becomes a cause for another effect and everything is a chain link of occurrences within a phasic reality of time. Ether doesn't have that. It probably has a, a, a regard to time in the eternal now, all of it. It's all now. And that might be how people do time travel. I don't know. At least in the astral plane that's possible. I don't know about the physical plane. But there's no regard for time. So, as we know it, time as we know it, in which everything is a serial occurrence of events in which one causes the next. So when you've got this event, in which, it's kind of like a, 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 an opening of a window so that during that transient spike of voltage, of high voltage, it's almost as if our reality, reality of time in the physical space that we know of is overridden or shoved aside by this other reality of eternal now timality of the ether. Um, and if we take advantage of that, <coughs> excuse me, take advantage of that spike with the formation, the geometric formation of our various capacitive reactances and inductive reactances of the components of the circuit, we can develop that surge into any amount of energy we like. Uh, it's, of course, imaginary until we pass it through resistance or some other methodology, such I've been stating earlier, um, to 
reassemble that imaginary power into real power. But be that as it may, we have infinity as the asymptotic limit if that's our objective is to um, depend upon some amount of real power input, but it has to be very little to be able to step aside and not get in the way of this process that we wish to encourage in which we literally explode in some cases, unfortunately, or hyperbolically, smoothly, gradually accumulate a, 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 um, a, uh, <laughs> a storehouse, shall we say, of imaginary power that can be any amount we want to within, every, within any framework of time. So that comes after the surge, after the transient surge, when time goes back to normalcy and we start accumulating. Because that transient surge, because it came from the ether, it has no accountability to any causality because time is different in the ether. And so when it, it brings that non-accountability back with it, apparently, because, again, if we applied very little real power to get in the way, then we can accumulate that or self-compound. That's what I'm looking for. That type of energy, that imaginary power, is like self-compounding interest rate in which you don't have to add any more money to your investment. The money you initially put there self-compounds upon itself within a framework of time giving it a certain rate of self-compounding so that it usually, uh, or <laughs> ideally, um, compounds at a hyperbolic rate, an exponential function, so it might square its, excuse me, it may raise itself, yeah, it may raise itself by the power of two. And that's in various, that, that part's not um, theory because the simulator in theory will self-compound usually at the rate of uh, at the power of 10 because that's what it's constructed in terms of the decimal nu number system which is base 10 but in reality I've seen articles on the internet regarding this phenomenon of, par of uh, parametric amplification in which the self-compounding um, interest rate of imaginary power increasing its volume without any additional input any more than what the uh, this very teeny-weeny input was that started this whole process, um, is that the rate of the power of two. So that might be what actually happens in reality. Um, but in the simulator's virtual reality, it's at the power of ten. Minor error that the simulator is making, um, as I, I hold it as a minor error. Anyway. I can't repeat for emphasis anything I've said just now in this recording because I can't remember what I've said. <laughs> Once it passes through my mind, it's out the door and I can't, I don't hold on to it. And uh, that's really an attitude more than anything else because it helps me intuit what to say next or what to say at all for that matter because I don't have any garbage of thoughts getting in the way that I hold on to of what I've said before. So if you ask me about what I've said before, I probably won't even understand what I've said, just like you don't, and I won't be able to help you, because uh, I can't dig it back up um, by demand, usually. Not all the time. Sometimes I can, though.
and sometimes I cannot. It, it, I think it matters how many times I repeat a thought. So that's really why I repeat myself and make recordings and podcasts on the same idea uh, several times because I'm trying to train my mind to acquire the knowledge. You know, when I get inspired, it's I'm speaking from a source outside, beyond myself, which does not leave its mark in me. That's why I make these recordings or make the blogs to create a record of what I was inspired to think. But it does not register in my mind it, by way of a habituation which helps us remember things. And I actually don't have any memory unless somebody brings it up, the topic, and then, oh, I'm able to find it within my memory bank and my uh, computer brain or whatever you want to call it to be able to retrieve it and then remember it. But usually nobody has this any discussion with me. Oh, yeah, I remember blah, blah, blah. And so to my face, so as to cause me to locate the memory of that occurrence when I spoke those words. So consequently, I can't find it. And uh, the Internet doesn't help when people ask me questions. It's It has to be pointedly specific on that recording, I guess. Um, but even then, I may, may have forgotten and may not be able to retrieve it. In most cases, I cannot retrieve it. And then I have to be re-inspired all over again sometimes to be re repeat myself. The thought has to come again, and it'll come more fresh. It'll come freshly with a new perspective. I literally have no memory of the things I say. I mean, it. it I mean, it's there. I, I know it. I'm, I guess, but I just can't retrieve it. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so I can't help you understand, unless it's at the time that I make the recording. Maybe it'll be fresh in my mind. You know, because of the recent nature of that recording or blog. Um, anyway, that's the way my mind works. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was different when I was younger. I cataloged every thought I ever had. But at the age of nine, I realized people don't care if you remember anything. So I just dumped everything in the trash, so to speak, of, forget of forgetfulness. And I only remembered things that were important. But these things that I talk about, are not important per se. They're, they give me joy and energy and, you know, to try to share and help out, but um, they're not really my thoughts that I can catalog and put aside. I really don't know where they come from. All I know is they come from a source outside my brain, outside the resources of my brain. Um... And yet, I have to train my brain on this topic of electrical engineering and regarding free energy in order to comprehend what it is that's coming or have something to come that makes any sense. Um, yeah, it depends on whatever I've, to whatever extent I've trained my brain. That will create or form the thought. That the inspiration is almost not a thought itself. Well, it is. It's a thought predicated on prior um, thoughts. So in that sense, I'm, I, the process of being inspired is a process of, re, of re, remembering something else that I had previously to be able to have a language to formulate the inspiration in terms of so that it makes any sense. Um, 
So you guess, uh, yeah. So I have to be, that means that if somebody asks me a question, they have to be able to inspire me so that I can, again, speak from a source outside my brain in answer to their question that is pertinent regarding what they're asking about. And that usually only happens in face-to-face conversation and they have to set up an empathy with me prior to posing the question. So it's that's why the internet doesn't work because I have no prior relationship, no prior history with in discussing with that person to create a link of empathy because the empathy has to be there in order for the telepathy to be there so that I can understand what they're asking me and retrieve the memory and be able to answer their question. So I'm not much much use to anybody on the internet. Once I post something, it's just like a one-way street, a monologue, unfortunately. From my end, I'm setting myself up for a kind of a lecture, a series of lectures, Um, but not really a dialogue between the listener and the speaker, unfortunately. That's just the way it works, Um, or has worked. I'm just analyzing it and telling it to you so that you understand why it's... why it's It it doesn't make your job any easier to understand because of my limitations of how to help you. See, I don't have a working experiential knowledge of the things I talk about. It's all um, theory. If it was experiential, it would it would be different. I'd have the memory of the experience to be able to retrieve that to in answer to your question. But I don't have experiences. I have inspirations that are not the same as physical experiences that I can catalog as, you know, my five senses experience something and I can retrieve that. So it makes it harder for me to understand what I've said a year ago. I, I can't. Most of the time, I can't. I listen to it and, I, and I, it boggles my brain and I'm awestruck. Wow, I, I'm so smart about something I don't even know what I'm talking about that sounds so smart that I'm, I'm making it sound like I'm so smart. And yet at the time, I understand it fully. And if somebody asked me right then and there, I'd be able to answer because the inspiration would feed the answer along with the original um, speech that caused the question to occur in the listener's mind in the first place. So it's um, so it's really not me speaking in a sense. I'm just speaking on behalf of the source of the inspiration, basically, when I make those recordings. And that makes it very difficult to make any sense out of it. Maybe that's why I never had good sensibility to understand what Buckminster Fuller was saying. But then his disciples knew, but they had empathy with him. They had a linkage between their heart and his heart so that they could understand and uh, comprehend and uh, be guided to point their attention at the thought itself, not the speech that represents it, but the thought that he has in his mind so that they have the same thought. That's what it comes to, what understanding comes down to is having the same thought and otherwise you're not going to be able to understand because these are not this is not does not operate on the level of mere words alone it goes beyond words that the process of being inspired is be a process beyond 
the normal range of the scientific mind, which just plods along with thoughts and the memory of experiencing thoughts. So that's probably why science is so physically oriented um, and why inspired thinking, such as poets, sounds great, but it's like otherworldly and it's hard to comprehend. Anyway, I don't want to get a little too much off topic. The reason why physical generators do not generate power is because that because their you know coils are merely displacing amperage from voltage by a mere 90 degrees not 180 degrees. You know, if they did create a displacement of 180 degrees between amperage and voltage, then they would be generators, but they are not. The prime mover behind the generator is supplying energy to the generator, which the generator converts into electricity. And the prime mover might be the gra gravity of falling water in a waterfall at a hydroelectric power plant. So neither the falling water nor the generator is generating anything. We merely have different forces getting converted into other forces, you know, in a chain re uh, link uh, response, giving us eventually what we want. The product, the byproduct is the electricity. So a free energy circuit is the only type of generator, if we use the strict term of generation, that the simulator provides us in which amperage and voltage are out of phase by 180 degrees. So when you have a battery, a voltage source battery, a DC power source in a simulator, it defines the energy as the generation of power because the amperage is opposed to the voltage and it's it's going out the other way. I mean, the voltage is you know, going out one terminal of the battery and the amperage is going out the other terminal of the battery. That's why we say, um, well, I don't want to get into that, but that's why or how the battery is depicted under simulation. And I guess I was going to say that's how physicists look at the flow of energy is, oh, well, it's the flow of electrons coming out of the cathode of the battery while the voltage is coming out of the anode. Okay, and that's the way the simulator looks at it. But generators don't do that. At most, they displace amperage and voltage by 90 degrees because they're a coil and they have inductive reactants. So the current um, lags the voltage by 90 degrees at most, but they're not generating. They're merely converting the energy of the falling water in the case of a hydroelectric power plant. So the falling water is considered the prime mover, but it's still not <laughs> amperage and voltage out of displacement, is it? Well, I don't know. The, the falling water is moving in the direction of the center of the mass of the planet. Um, and it was being held up in an opposing direction at the waterfall precipice. So you could call that the voltage, which is in opposition to the direction of the fall, which is the current. So in a sense, yeah, the prime mover is does have its amperage in opposition to its voltage by 180 degrees in space. <laughs> um, um, whereas on the virtual oscilloscope tracings, uh, the uh, such a thing being ge generated, created in, or situation uh, spawned in a free energy circuit, the amperage and the voltage out of phase by 180 degrees, that's not spatial, is it? 
Hmm, that's a deep question I don't want to try to get into. I could probably answer it if I did. Um, at least it's opposing on the oscilloscope graph, but that's a concept. I'm not sure if it translates into the real world, but I'd have to think about it, but I don't want to at the moment, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to deal with everything. <laughs> I just wanted to deal with one thing, and that was the generator. Um, so yes, prime movers might be arranged in, in a certain sense, but is it the same as a oscilloscope tracing? I don't know. Um, oh dear, I guess I have to cover it. it it'll bug me continue to bug me um well we have to convert the uh, concept of amperage back into its original format its fundamental format which is reactive volts divided by various impedances and resistance within a framework of time in order to get at the physicality um the voltage exists as a difference between the two terminals of a piece of wire the amperage so-called amperage is actually um, the squaring of voltages across the cross-section of that piece of wire. It's it. So I don't hold amperage to go along the length of the wire at 90 degrees to the voltage along the length of the wire like normal conventional electrodynamics holds. Instead, the so-called current is at right angles uh, to the voltage along the length of the wire in as much as it's a cross-sectional area. It's the area of the cross-section of the field that's running along the length of the wire um, at right angles to it in that sense, but not along the length of the wire. It's um, a, a cross-section, or not along the length of the field that runs along the, the waveguide of the wire, but a, along the cross-section of that field at right angles to it involving the diameter of that field. Um, at any point along its length, but not involving the length of the field. Um, so, that's how I see that, but what does that have to do with gravity? Well, it, they're probably uh, falling water. It's probably analogous in the sense that um, if we mapped out gravity and whatnot and... Uh, and what the falling water is doing, it would probably come out to be something similar or analogous, but in the physical plane. Um, so that would imply that the energy already is pre-existing within the energy of that falling water and the gravity that is being applied to it to draw it to the center. Um, it would probably be similar in its own way. I'm guessing, um, because I still don't understand gravity, so I, I can't really dissect, so that's the reason why I can't answer my curiosity as to, okay, how do we define the prime mover in terms of a generator, or is it merely a conversion from coming from something else? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that, because I don't know what gravity is. If I knew what gravity was, then I could answer that curiosity I'm having at the moment, but I can't. So I have to leave it alone. <laughs>